This episode of Women on the Rise is sponsored by The Riveter, a workspace designed for women and their advocates. Stay tuned to the end for more information about how you can join The Riveter's movement and ambition. So if we're always on the go and we think I have to be on the go to accomplish all this, but the go is happening from a place of depletion, there is no awakening of consciousness or creativity or potentiality. And therefore, everything we offer to the world is from a place of depletion. And depletion begets more depletion. Depletion does not beget more prosperity or success. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Aparna Kanilkar, mother, entrepreneur, and Ayurvedic lifestyle counselor. In the past, Aparna served as the head chef and later a menu consultant for the Chopra Center for Wellbeing in Carlsbad, California. In addition, she developed curriculum for the Ayurveda program at the Natural Epicurean Academy of Culinary Arts in Austin, Texas. I invited Aparna to be on the podcast because I and many of the women I speak with are kind of intrigued by the idea of Ayurveda, an ancient system of living from India, but don't know much about it or how it might benefit us. I first learned about the theories of self-care rooted in Ayurveda during my training as as a health coach, and have often found them useful in helping clients understand their unique food, movement, and stress management needs. Aparna explains what Ayurveda is, practical tools for applying it to your life to find more balance and success, what finally pushed her to prioritize self-care and how she learned to slow down after years of living a more frazzled and stress-filled life, and the changes she's navigating as a mother as her children move into their teenage years. Enjoy the interview. So yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to to talk to you. It's wonderful to be here, Lara. Thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny, you know, we met because I had put a call out in a business group that I'm part of to find an expert on Ayurveda. And it's partially because I, I wanted to bring this information to my community, but also because I have a personal interest in Ayurveda from the school that I studied health and nutrition coaching at, which covered a number of different dietary theories. And this was the dietary theories around Ayurveda was one of the things that we studied. And I've always found it so fascinating. So, you know, I'd love to start with, could you just talk a little bit about what, what is Ayurveda and why is it relevant, especially to modern women? I would love to. So it is true that most people hear about Ayurveda through a yoga class or through uh, some sort of a nutritional program they're part of, a holistic living study. The word Ayurveda actually means the science of longevity, and it, it really covers all aspects of life, lifestyle, nutrition, caring for the elderly, reproductive health, uh, purification and cleansing, rejuvenation, uh, bolstering the immune system. It, it's really, it's, it's a system for everything related to one's well-being, physical, spiritual, emotional, and psychological. And it is the oldest form of health and well-being. It's the oldest system that's still being practiced all over India and different parts of Asia as well, becoming quite 
popular in the United States, even in its own diluted form. And um, for me, the kind of work I do, it is about a way of living. And especially for us modern women, even though Ayurveda is a very ancient system of life itself, it is very relevant to today's world because this science is timeless. It is fundamentally based on this idea of knowing, not just intellectually, but as part of our life experience that we are a beautiful combination of body, mind, and soul or spirit. And this organism of the body, mind, and soul is in direct relationship to all of existence. So we're not little islands doing our own things, suffering through life, not knowing how to deal with stress, but truly for us to have a harmonious, abundant, prosperous, and healthy life to understand ourselves on this very deep level and also cultivate and nourish our relationship with all of existence itself. So that's why Ayurveda is relevant because there is a great deal of disconnection that we are all faced with when we become very focused on our careers, our mortgage, our bills, our kids. And you know, this is what women deal with on a daily basis, that we often forget. We forget who we are and we become very robotic and as a result, very resentful. And we feel a void and an emptiness. And so bringing in something like Ayurveda, you know, it's timeless wisdom, it's ageless wisdom, and to apply it to our lives in very simple ways. We don't have to, you know, turn our whole lives around just because of we heard about Ayurveda, but we do small things for our self-nurturance, our self-care, for silence and stillness. Then we can have this incredible balance and a sense of fulfillment and contentment, and I will dare say even bliss. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so many women are feeling frazzled and disconnected and, you know, just overwhelmed. And perhaps that is, you know, to your point, why Ayurveda, why I personally am so drawn to it and why so many other people who have learned about it are also drawn to it because it in many ways exists to bring that sense of balance and calm. Like even just hearing you talk about it makes me calm, (laughs) makes me feel calmer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for sure. And, and also the, the, the holistic view of things and I, and that is such an overused term, but it's, it's a very accurate term when we're talking about Ayurveda, obviously. And yeah. And when we say holistic, you know, it's really seeing ourselves as this whole being Um, Not just viewing yourself as I have digestive issues or I have anger or I am depressed, but to really see ourselves as this mini version of the entire universe that's in each and every one of us and to experience the vastness of our being through our own individual body, mind, and soul experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's these kinds of disciplines, I think, are so important as a complement to modern medicine, for example, I was talking to my mother last night about this, who has, you know, is having some health problems. And, and we were just talking about some different ways to complement the medical care that she's getting because it's looking at her as individual systems, right? Our individual, you know, body systems, which is not the way that we're built. It's all one system. (laughs) Yes. We can't just treat one symptom and think that we'll just put a Band-Aid on one symptom. But we have to look at the person as a whole being. They have emotions. 
they have heartache, they have cravings, they have karmic stuff, they have lineage things, they have physical issues. We have, we're everything. So we have to look at all aspects of a person in order for them to have full and true healing from the inside out. And that's the fundamental premise of Ayurveda. You want healing from the inside out, from the root. There are no band-aids applied. Right, right. Which is a much more sustainable way to look at it. Can you talk a little bit about your experience learning about Ayurveda? Well, I can. You know, it's so interesting because I grew up in India. And even when you go to India, you don't hear people talking about Ayurveda, you know, doshas. and It's just part of life. It's just Ayurvedic wisdom runs in the veins of every woman, mothers, I mean. And so it's transferred from one mother to her daughter to, you know, and so on and so forth through food and lifestyle practices. And so I was exposed to it without even knowing about it, just like my sister was and my mother was and my grandmothers were, etc. So, but I went to, I remember um, I had some sort of issue with my liver when I was in ninth grade. And my mom took me to this Ayurvedic doctor who gave me the most hideous tasting concoction of herbs <laughs> to drink with coconut water. And it was so nasty and I threw up, but I had to do that for many, many days and it healed me and cured me completely. And then in my teenage years, I had acne and I didn't go and buy some acne cream, but I actually went to an Ayurvedic doctor who gave me these wonderful luscious oils and amber bottles. And I had to massage myself with it to purify the skin and to detox my body and to bring balance. So Ayurveda is just part of every household in India and nobody in my family has studied it I have a distant cousin who's an Ayurvedic doctor, but most Ayurvedic doctors, you know, it's generational. So if I were a doctor, my daughter and son would be doctors and their children would be doctors. And you have people, you know, who have like 16 unbroken generations of Ayurvedic doctors. Mm. I mean, there were doctors to kings and queens, the great, their great, great, great grandparents, etc. Yeah. So things are changing now. Anybody can learn Ayurveda and you know, much of my Ayurvedic training has been in the U.S., um, but I'm very fortunate because I, I I do feel Ayurveda runs in my blood. So um, yeah, it sounds I'm able like to it bring sure. that. You know, yeah, because I grew up with all these different practices. Like I know I was massaged as a brand new baby. I think on the fifth or sixth day. You know, so I did the same thing for my children and. And it goes on and on. I, I have a mother who's going to be giving birth in June and I'm going to be massaging her and her baby with all these precious oils. And she's not Indian, but she's very interested in this. Well, and it's so interesting to, you know, to your point, the practices that you experienced growing up, you wouldn't have called them Ayurveda. They were just life, right? They were just, they were just yeah. how, you, how you live. Because India, you know, it's, India is modernizing. India is very eager to be westernized. I should say Indians are. but long, long, long time ago, with the awakening of consciousness in certain parts of India by certain teachers and sages, etc., the focus was on making all aspects of life a spiritual experience, not just going to the temple, not just when you meditate or pray, but how can we understand our relationship to the entire universe through all acts of our life? You know, whether it's having a little shrine at your office, 
where you light a lamp every day for prosperity and good fortune and abundance, or when you recognize that this food is actually a gift from nature, and so you bless your food and you thank whoever for the food before you eat. You thank the universe or God or whoever. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, life itself is a full spiritual experience instead of needing to go and do something spiritual for a few minutes each day. Mm. That's truly one of the most glorious things about Indian culture. Everything can be explained from a spiritual context. Yeah. Can you actually talk a little bit more? Because as you're saying that, it's occurring to me sort of specifically, how can Ayurvedic practices help women be more successful, you know, in business and life, you know, since that's sort of my interest in this podcast, can you talk a little bit about some specific practices like what you just shared? For sure. Yeah. Um, Women carry a lot as mothers, as wives, and as businesswomen. And many of us play all three roles. And that is a pretty heavy load in today's world. So women need to unwaveringly without explanation, make time for their self-care. In addition, we also have our monthly cycles, which is a form of purification. And we need rest during that form of purification. And we have our own emotional scale, which is maybe even just socially you know, constructed, but our social, our emotional scale is very different from that of a man. And so we have that to consider too. So the Topmost thing I recommend for everyone, but especially women, is to find time to meditate at least once a day. And there are many styles of meditation, transcendental meditation, heart-based meditation, there's uh, inner engineering, there's vipassana, there's so many. I mean, it's amazing how much access we have to all of these styles of meditation. So definitely that, and that's about 15, 20 minutes a day. Uh, if you do it once a day. And then the other aspect is that making sure you're eating fresh food. Americans love to eat leftovers, frozen, stale foods, but there is something very unique and life-giving about eating food that is prepared fresh and eat it. you eat it right away. You eat it the same day or within 24 hours. Then the other aspect is also nurturing our bodies through the practice of self-massage, which is a very deeply, deeply self-nurturing, just a lovely experience of anointing your whole body with warm oil, letting it soak in for about 15 minutes, and then taking a hot shower or getting in the tub. And you can use different essential oils in your tub and just creating these rituals of self-care and making it a priority because no one is going to give us permission to do this because we have to do it for ourselves. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there that there's a lot of resistance around, you know, changing one's habits to be healthier, more balanced, whatever however you want to look at it. What what price do you think women pay for not prioritizing mind-body health and all of these things? Well, the topmost price is your mental, emotional and physical well-being. The second price we pay is that we will not have the degree of success that we want in our contribution, in our businesses, because life is meant to be like a beautiful wave of rest and activity, mental and physical and spiritual and emotional. So if we're always on the go, 
And we think I have to be on the go to accomplish all this, but the go is happening from a place of depletion. There is no awakening of consciousness or creativity or potentiality. And therefore, everything we offer to the world is from a place of depletion. And depletion begets more depletion. Depletion does not beget more prosperity or success. So it requires some courage and we, we, we make ourselves do it. And after a while, we see that, oh, there's this beautiful flow. There's an ebb and flow you know, where I take time to rest and rejuvenate and I surrender my creativity, my vision and manifestation is also happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point too, because you're right at the beginning, there is, you do have to sort of make yourself do it with, as with any new habit, you have to sort of understand that there's a period of time where it's going to feel challenging and like something you don't want to do. And then there's a turning point and, and it's not, doesn't take that long really for most It things. really does not take that long at all. And I've seen hundreds of women transform themselves from the, you know, I was one of them, that frenzied state of, oh, I have so much to do. Oh my God, I have so much to do to, um, I actually, I'm able to manifest more abundance, prosperity, and success because I choose to move slowly now. I choose it. And yes, it was uncomfortable in the beginning. Like you said, Lara, I was like, oh my God, is this right? Or, <laughs> But what happens is that our intuition becomes sharper. Our perception is sharpened. Our mind is now even more intelligent. Our emotions are more stable and grounded instead of being in that place of depletion where we're on high alert. We're in a state of stress. How creative can we be when we're in a state of stress versus a state of flow and surrender and creativity and knowing there's a balance between rest and activity? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so funny. It reminds me of a sort of decision I made. It's probably been six months now where I just sort of one day was like, you know what? I refuse to rush. I will not rush. Like even if I'm running late, (laughs) I will not rush. And so I, over time, as I started to notice, you know, I started to notice when I was feeling rush and I'd reminded myself, no, no, I refuse to rush. And it really has changed. And, and some days are better than others, right? But it really has changed the way I move through the world. And to your point, it opens up a perception that you, you don't have when you're rushing around yeah. like a crazy person. <laughs> And your example is perfect because that is exactly how we all need to retrain our minds. And no one can do this for us. This is an internal job where we just decide, I am going to move slower. I will not rush. And you're commanding your mind and all the other subconscious loops that work within us to say, I am slowing down. And it's just a matter of time that things adjust. And and some days, maybe you do have to rush, but again, you're doing it mindfully. Right. That's right. Yeah. Those are the the times where I say I'm not rushing. I'm moving with purpose. (laughs) Hey, it's Lara here. Wanted to take a quick break from the interview to invite you to my new monthly online workshop series. It's designed to help you get out of your own way and make being healthy feel easy and intuitive instead of stressful and overwhelming. And it's totally free. So consider this your personal invitation to join in. Visit laradolch.com slash workshops to save your spot in upcoming workshops. That's laradolch.com slash workshops. What was the turning point for you then? You know, you talked about being in that frazzled state yourself. What prompted you to, to finally do something about that? 
fatigue, discontentment, just feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm 47 and I, I want to live like this for, I don't know, 15 more years working in my field or 20 more years or however long. And I just felt like this, is, this isn't working for me. I don't enjoy it. And, uh, you know, feeling anxious at six in the morning, as soon as I woke up, like, oh, I have 25 things to do on my calendar today. And all self-inflicted, by the way, nobody was doing this to me. Life certainly wasn't doing this to me. It was me doing it to me. And feeling like um, if I'm, if I really want to serve as many people as I want to in this particular chosen field of work, then I, I have to just step it up and just be that person right now. And this this mm-hmm. happened about a year ago. Wow, so fairly recently. Yeah, and, and it also meant that I gave up many things. You know, I was like very involved in the community. I was doing all kinds of things. And I just, I also moved, uh, moved to a different state and I just slowed it all down. And, and every day I still think, you know, what else does, what else do I need to refine in my choices? And I love that statement. And one of my teachers taught me this, refine your desires, Mm. find them. It doesn't mean you give up your desires or you think, oh, you know, I know it's not, none of it is going to happen. It's not that. The more refined our desires are, the more purposeful our energy expenditure is. So we're not scattered all over. And as business women, we have to think about this, all of us. I love that. Yeah, how can I refine my desire or my goal? And when we refine, we automatically focus more on it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and it's so it's so funny. I was just talking to someone the other day. You know, just the it reminds me. It's just prioritizing, right? I mean, getting clear on on what really is important to you. And the conversation I was having the other day was with someone about money and where we spend our money and Mm. something that I had done about a year ago based on a a book called Worth It written by a woman named Amanda Steinberg, which I highly recommend, where she gets you to sit down and yeah, like figure out what are your top three or four money priorities? Because that reflects your values in your life. And to your point, it, it, it reflects your desires. And, and having that list, getting clear on that has been transformative for me because now I don't ever feel guilty about spending money. I know exactly where I want to spend it to support my goals in life, my desires, my values. And it's just, there's just no question. Exactly. I, my, actually my lifestyle, my day starts around 10, my work day. I don't work before that. Some days I do, but 90% of the time I don't. My morning is dedicated to my self-care. And then I have time again around 2.30 for for my afternoon meditation. And then at night, I take a walk on purpose. I want to be outside and take in the sunlight and nature. And then I might even do like a foot massage for myself at night before I go to bed and why, why do I take so much time? Because I want to show up in this world with my own inner contentment and my own inner connection to the divine. Because nobody can give that to me outside of me. My children can only fulfill me for so long because they're also fulfilling themselves. My partner, he's also taking care of himself. My friends, they're all doing the same thing. And so... If I want to do an amazing job of my work, my contribution to the world, 
then I need to be in top form physically, mentally, spiritually, psychologically. And I want to feel good. And that's why I invest my time in myself. Mm-hmm. And there's been some judgment, you know, even in my family. Oh, you know, my God, you don't work enough. There's this idea that, you know, you should be working hard and a lot. And I don't subscribe to that at all. It's, it's about letting that creative flow to come out of us and then for the universe to support us. But we have to be in the flow. And we can't be in that flow when we're in this state of stress and scarcity and fear but we allow ourselves to flow in this you know especially women you know we are as women we have this flow of shakti shakti is the divine feminine energy which is vast and incredibly powerful and beautiful and when we slow down and take care of ourselves we meditate we oil our bodies we eat well we eat slowly etc we start to notice the flow of shakti in us then we can say okay, I have this incredible divine feminine energy flowing through me and let that feminine energy support me mm-hmm. in my business, in my presentation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And to your point earlier, when you are able to be in that space, because I've experienced this too, and, and I struggle with this every day. I mean, I to stay in that space. And when I'm able to do it, things happen. Things move forward in a way that I could not have anticipated or even created prior to that. And you talked a little bit about that earlier as far as the success in your work. Yeah. I mean, look, if we're in the material world where we have to see proof of something to know that it's happening, we're always going to be in a state of stress. You know, oh, is that money going to come through? I'll be happy when the money comes through or when the client comes through or whatever, when I win the lottery or who knows, all the different ways, right? (laughs) But when we're in the spiritual realm, and yes, you can run your business purely on spiritual principles, you are willing to be in a state of surrender and contribution. And you are then hopping into that flow. There's a flow that comes through our surrender. It's a paradox. But when we surrender, we get to be in the flow of life, in the flow of Shakti. Mm. which allows us to manifest our reality through ourselves, not waiting for, oh, when that money comes through, I'll feel less stress. But that inner contentment comes from that connection to that divine flow of energy. And when we are in a state of fulfillment and contentment, we will automatically draw success and prosperity and abundance to ourselves. Yeah. So it's so much easier to be that than to go fight for it in the world, so to speak, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what is your, so all these things that you've learned that, that have worked for you in the past year, since you kind of made this transition and refused to be (laughs) refused to rush as it were, what, what continues to be a struggle for you in terms of prioritizing self-care? Uh, For me, my greatest challenge right now is the food part because I have two teenagers who have eaten Ayurvedic food all their lives and they're so done with it. (laughs) (laughs) They just want regular American food. And (laughs) I refused to do that. And so some days there's a little bit of a back and forth about, oh, we don't want to eat lentils again. And so... Um, That's something I've been reflecting on. I don't have to eat what they eat. I can eat what I want and make some things that they want too. 
mm-hmm. because I like very simple, fresh food. And they, you know, teenagers, they like heavier, yummier things, so to speak, you know, pizza and tacos and all of those things. So that it's, it's, it's kind of a life transition because my son just graduated from uh, graduating tomorrow. And my daughter's almost 15 and it's a major shift. And so I'm having to make some shifts in how I view myself as a woman slash mother because my role is changing so rapidly and finding my place in there, in this transition and also finding that I have vast amounts of time now that I, I don't need to parent them like I used to. And then now making sure that I use that time for me, like taking these long walks in the evening or helping somebody who needs help and they need to be heard. Now knowing that I have this time I can give to the world. Mm. And also at the same time, feeling some level of sadness and grief about this phase is coming to an end. There will be a new phase as a mother and a woman in relation to my children. So definitely that's my current challenge, food and finding new ways to relate to myself as a mother. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, a lot of my listeners are moms. What have you noticed about how these self-care practices affect your ability to show up as a mother? Uh, When I don't do self-care practices... I know that I could be a much better parent when I take care of myself. You know, I've told my children from a very young age that I'm going to be having my cycle very soon. And I used to be much more crankier during my cycles in my younger days. And I would just tell them, you know, my cycle's coming. I need a lot of space. I need more quiet around the house. I need to rest. And so they've also seen me get very cranky and irritable when I didn't take the time to rest. So now if they catch me uh, occasionally being cranky or irritable, they will both say to me, "Um, are you close to your cycle? (laughs) They will ask me. And so, you know, the more we do it, the more we influence our children. We can't influence them by talking to them about it. In my house, there are, you know, different treatments happening, people asking for essential oils, people taking different, this is my children, taking different Ayurvedic supplements. So the, we, we just have to do it for us and the children will naturally be influenced. Even husbands will be naturally influenced or boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that all the time in, in yeah. my work with clients where, yeah, it's kind of miraculous where the, the other people in the house all of a sudden start to be curious about what you're doing because yeah. they see how it affects you. And it also extends into the other, you know, the extended family. Like my mother in India often will ask me what she should do for this or that. My brother. So um, it's good. It's good because when we take care of our bodies, minds, and souls and hearts, our whole energy changes, how we show up changes and it influences everyone and then it inspires everyone. And that's why I love working with women. Now I am starting to get male clients too, but I love working with women because whatever they have, they're always willing to share with their children, their friends and family. And that's, that's like having ripple effect. Oh, I did this. It worked for me. You want to try it? Can I tell you how I did it? Don't we do that as women? We're always sharing things. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And that's yeah. actually a really beautiful place to kind of begin to wrap things up. What's what's next for you? What are you excited about? Well, what's next for me is that I 
I love working one-on-one with clients and I definitely would like to attract, magnetize and invite more people, women specifically to work with. Um, My focus primarily is on emotional healing and overcoming any limitations to our own spiritual expansion, be it through parenting or relationship or work or, you know, it all comes to us in different ways. Um, And then I have my beautiful Ishwari um, Ayurvedic products that I've created. Um, I was in India in December and I thought uh, I had this like beautiful epiphany that not everyone can do this heavy, deep spiritual work. Not everyone's ready. You know, that, that trajectory comes in a very specific moment. And when it comes, you do it. But if it hasn't yet come, what are other things you can do to nurture yourself, to slowly begin your healing process? And the thing I came up with was, oh my gosh, I can make these beautiful products that women can use, men can too. They can anoint their bodies and slowly start accepting themselves as they are every time they anoint their body. And then I have these, um, have a, I, my specialty is that I use Ayurvedic herbs in all of my products. So it's not just an oil or a balm, but they're infused with the medicinal benefits of many, many herbs. So how to use them? Uh, I have one called Heartless Balm for healing grief and opening the heart. I have one called the Calm Balm. That's for the mind. And uh, one for sleep and feeling deeply rested and relaxed. And I have my body oils. I want women to be able to experience self-nurturance through their body, not just going to the spa, not just getting a manicure or buying a top. A lot of women think that self-care is like shopping or going to get a manicure. I mean, it is. You enjoy it. But the kind of Ayurvedic self-care I teach is, has long-lasting benefits to the body, to the mind, and to you, just how you feel about your place in the world. I love it. So I'm excited to keep building on that and refining my products and then working uh, one-on-one. Then I have a retreat coming up in India in December. It'll be my second retreat. Oh, wow. It's an Ayurveda, yoga, and Indian fusion dance retreat. You don't have to have any dance experience or yoga or anything. You can just be a happy woman to go to India and it's with my retreat partner, Lisa Beck. And um, so that's exciting. That's in December. We usually take six, we like to take six or eight women at the most. And it's very intimate and very heart opening. Um, it's, it's in my hometown. So I speak the language and I know all the sites and we have beautiful excursions every afternoon. We do all our practices in the morning. So that sounds amazing. Wow. Yeah. Where can people find out about you and about all of those wonderful things? Um, The retreat is not on my website, but um, anybody can contact me through my website. And my website is my full name, apurnakanulkar.com. And my products are on there. There's a contact form. People can write to me, ask me questions about anything really, and or the retreat as well. And I can direct people to, um, the retreat is actually on lisabeckliving.com. If they just click on the retreats tab, it will be there. It will say Mysore Retreat. Or they can email me. I'm happy to share more information. 
got it. I'll put all that stuff in the in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Aparna. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Lara. It was delightful to be here. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit laradolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It really helps me out. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. The Riveter is a women-forward workspace designed for community, work, and wellness. Not just a desk and a co-working space, The Riveter is a transformative movement for all women and their advocates to invite ambition. The Riveter provides the support, resources, and amenities to build successful businesses. Their members are entrepreneurs, remote workers, consultants, and everyone in between. They even have a community membership plan that provides access to professional development and fitness programming without the desk. The Riveter now has two locations in Seattle's Capitol Hill and Fremont neighborhoods, and a third location in West LA with more locations coming soon. If you're interested, visit info.theriveter.co, that's C-O, slash women on the rise for a special offer for women on the rise listeners. That's info.theriveter.co slash women on the rise.